second reading is the text for today's message recorded in Romans, the 11th chapter. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedience to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we are talking about the right mercy. And before we go any further, I want to put a definition to that word as we can walk through the rest of our scripture today. God's mercy. The Greek word translates into this idea of a kindness or good towards somebody who is miserable and afflicted joined together with a desire to bring relief to that hurting individual. So as we talk about God's right mercy for humanity, this is the mercy that God desires to provide an offering to us through salvation and faith at the death and resurrection of Christ. He knows that we are miserable, suffering sinners and, and worthy of death. But out of his mercy, he sees that state of our being and longs to bring us relief, and he does through the life and death and resurrection of Christ. But there's more about mercy than God's right mercy for us because there's this need for us to show a right kind of mercy towards one another. To recognize the needs of those around us, be filled with compassion, and long to do something about it. Long to bring relief to our struggling brothers and sisters. So God's mercy it has this circle that comes all the way around and then full circle again in our text today. And it starts with God's right mercy that he has poured out into the nation of Israel. See, he picked Abraham out of no reason outside of God's mercy to choose Abraham. Not because Abraham was wonderful and strong and without any kind of mistakes. God chose Abraham. Abraham because of his mercy. He picked Abraham by grace alone and then over the centuries created a nation from him to be a city set on a hill to show to the world the greatness and the goodness of God's mercy. 
And what they do in return? Well, they, they messed up over and over and over again, wandering around in the desert, even entering into the promised land to make mistake after mistake after mistake. And yet God is faithful to his promise. And he used their failing, their hardening of hearts, to result in Jesus' own suffering and death. As we were studying this text this week, that idea of hardening hearts is a, is a difficult one for me to wrap my mind around. Because first, Israel was chosen, chosen by God's mercy. Remember, not out of any strength of their own, God graciously and mercifully chose them. And then, over time, when confronted whether or not they wanted to please God through adherence to the law, by doing good things, by being obedient to him, or receiving righteousness of God through the gospel, they chose works. And in choosing works, the, the closer they believed themselves to be closely obedient to God and following those rules that God laid out for them, well, pride comes into the mix then. And as they have pride in how good they are being, their hearts are slowly hardening to the power of the gospel to save by faith, not by works. See, Moses, he warned Israel back in the day that their rebellion would result in God giving them a spiritual blindness, being not able to see the truths of God. Israel later told, excuse me, Isaiah later told Israel that that happened to that very day. And I want to let you know that that continues today. That for the most part, Israel has eyes that are blinded and hearts that are hardened to the truth of the gospel. That our reconnection to God does not come by obedience, but by his mercy, by his grace, by the gift of the gospel. Now, it's important to remember that hardening of hearts doesn't necessarily mean evil-spirited towards God or harshness towards God. The hardening of hearts can be something far more subtle and something that, that we ought to guard ourselves from as well. See, a hardened heart person is simply somebody who doesn't have eyes to see or ears to hear or a heart to receive and understand the power of the gospel, that God's desire to call us to him for eternity does not rely on our ability to get there, but on Christ and Christ alone. See, a person can be trying so desperately hard to please God that they forget the fact that we simply cannot please him by our actions. That our following of God's law is not anything to do with our salvation or our place in heaven but is rather instead a way for us just to show our love and gratitude back to him and to encounter and experience the life that's the best on this side of heaven. But our place with God is not through the law, but through the gospel of Christ. And this is something that's a, a little bit difficult for those who really practice great great habits and, and, and dig deeply into scripture and memorize copious amounts of God's word and, and adhere their lives to his law and start to take pride in how good they are as a Christian man or woman. And then you look at somebody who is like a convicted felon and a criminal 
who at the very last moment confesses faith and then receives the exact same inheritance promised to us. How insulting to the righteousness of God. And so through this real desire to please God, mixed together with our own pride in our ability to do so, well, the heart becomes hardened, incapable of receiving the richness of the gospel of Christ. But God has this way of using even our worst mistakes to bring about his greatest blessings. And that is so true even in the case of Israel's hardening of hearts. Because it was Israel's hardening of hearts that led them to be repulsed by who this Jesus person was. To be repulsed by the idea of this mercy and grace that Jesus taught about. So much so that they sent him to the cross. And what the world meant for evil, God used for incredible good. Paul writes in verse 15 of our text today, For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now their rejection, it led to the crucifixion. And because they rejected Jesus, he was killed by their own hands. In fact, during the court proceeding, they they responded out, Let his blood be on us and on our children. And once again, what? The evil they were speaking out loud, God's desire was exactly for that, for God's own blood, his blood of his son to be spread out over them, to wash them clean. And what further evidence do we have of Jesus hanging on the cross in the midst of total and complete agony, saying the words, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. God's will is always done. And because of this, payment was made for our sin in our place. Not with gold or silver, but with his own body and blood. And if the Jews had universally all celebrated and accepted Jesus, then they wouldn't have sent him to the cross. But even if that would have happened, God's will is always done. He always finds a way. God's will is always done. And this reconciliation for the world... Paul writes this is for the world, not just for the nation of Israel, but for the entire world. Remember, for God so loved the world. And you can tell that God's plan was to restore more than the nation of Israel. Paul concludes in verse 32, for God has consigned, that's an interesting word, God has consigned all to disobedience, that they may have mercy on all. Now, As somebody who studied the Greek language a little bit, I didn't recognize this word at all. Paul is not my favorite guy to translate. But this word, consigned, is used only by him. I had no idea what it meant, so I had to check it out. I don't know what it means in English. (laughs) But it's a rare word that's only used by Paul a couple of times. And it means to deliver somebody over to a power or person that he is completely shut in, think like a prison or a jail, without any means of escape. Something that you're totally trapped into. And you think about that. To be consigned to our own disobedience. That's the state of humanity. We are consigned to our own disobedience. We are imprisoned by our own disobedience. That means that we cannot, under any circumstances, on our own, escape from that condition of being disobedient. We're in need of a prison break 
facilitated by the grace and mercy of God who refuses to deal with us as we deserve but instead treats us better than we could ever deserve. They all are consigned to disobedience so that mercy can be given to all. All is a pretty inclusive language. It sounds like absolutely everybody. And out of context, someone could make this as a, as a proof text for showing that actually God in the end is going to save absolutely everybody. But that would fail to ignore Paul's primary point in Romans that being a part of the family of God is not by blood, but by faith. But it is our faith that is credited to us as righteousness. To all who call on Christ will be saved. So now we've gone from this circle from the Jews receiving the mercy, the right mercy of God, to their pride leading to a hardening of hearts, leading to a rejection of Christ to the crucifixion. And now things take a turn. Because now the mercy is not just preached only to the Jews, but also begins to be preached to the Gentiles. For the time, God has allowed the Israelites to be considered enemies for the purpose of extend, expanding the tent pegs of his kingdom to include all the world. In the book of Acts, this is a repeated cycle that happens over and over again. that apostles go to a city, go to the synagogue and preach and a majority of the Jews reject what they have to say. A small amount receive it and believe. And so then the apostles turn their attention to the Gentiles, many of whom believe. The Jewish community is fractured, but the Gentiles receive hope. They become what Scripture calls the wild olive shoot that's been cut off and then grafted into the family of God, receiving that life-bringing sap that brings them life and growth. And this life, the the giving gospel of justification by faith, which has been the faith of the believing Israel ever since Abraham, the founder of the Jewish people. And we receive that same inheritance, that same faith, the same faith that Abraham had is the faith that we have, that God will redeem and save the world through Christ. And that's what grafts us in to God's amazing family. And so as we, as we do that, we inherit these gifts and promises given to Abraham. That those are our inheritance as well. And, and let's not look down upon the Jews for their rejection of Christ. Because if it weren't for that, then we, friends, would not be sitting here today. We should respect the heritage and the promises given to them. In fact, I think we should even be grateful for them. Right, though the Jews were a chosen people, they started thinking that they were the choice people, supreme, and that's why God chose them. They became confident in, in, in what they were, that they were in, in the inside of God's family, no matter how they lived, simply because they were Abraham's descendants. And Paul teaches us today that's simply not the case, but he also delivers us a bit of a warning to not fall into the same trap of having our hearts be hardened. So now that the grace of God, that right mercy of God has flooded into our lives and brought us into a living relationship with him, now either our hearts could be hardened or our hearts could be filled with mercy. The right mercy. We're not to let wisdom in our own sight and understanding of the gospel turn into pride over the fact that God has shown grace and mercy to us. 
Now the church that's made up of Jews and Gentiles whom, the, whom God has rescued and restored, now we are that city set on a hill seeking to draw people to God. That we are to be living a life in this right mercy, living out this right mercy in our lives in a way that's attractive to the world, that the world would want the peace and the joy and the hope and the strength of God that we have. And our lives should reflect that. Which makes us ask, how well are we reflecting that? mercy of God does the world look at the church today with jealousy we see Christians living out the fruit of the spirit if we're honest not all the time very well but there are those moments when the Holy Spirit empowers us to and nurtures our faith and brings changes and transformation into our lives and and people start to take notice We should be asking ourselves every morning, how can I live in a way today that makes others want what I have? Last night, Sarah and I went on on a a date night. It's important when you're married to continue to date each other and and share love and experiences with one another. And we went to a restaurant, uh, a fancy place in Winter Park, one we usually wouldn't go to. And uh, we we were standing and waiting in line, and the place where I was standing was right in front of those places where the waitress does all of the orders the and uh, I didn't know but I was standing right in front of it a waitress came up behind me and was like trying to to reach around and my wife kind of pulled me aside and so that I didn't know I was blocking the way I was blocking the way and so she pulled me over and and said I'm sorry and the waitress was like you talk to me yeah I'm, I'm sorry I was in your way and she says people never apologize to me and I, and I looked at her and I said, well, you have value. You have respect. You have the right to be seen. She said, thank you. No one, no one does that here. See, we are to be different in such a way that people take notice. See, we have this right mercy that's been poured into our lives. And sometimes reflecting that is not just about living a great life. It's about being merciful to somebody else. Let that thought bring you a peace that passes all understanding in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now before we move on to our creed for this morning, there's a new portion of our worship services. At the bottom of your note page, you'll see two lines next to the words weekly awakening. I would like you to write the following down. I'll let you pull those out for those of you who haven't taken studious notes on what I've just said. (laughs) Write this down. How are you living out God's right mercy? How are you living out God's right mercy for you so that others might be drawn to God's right mercy for them? Others might be drawn to God's right mercy for them. One more time, that's how are you living out God's right mercy for you so that others might be drawn to God's right mercy for them. 
Now, it's our intent for these weekly awakenings that you use these as conversations around your, your lunch or your brunch table today, or as you gather together with other Christian friends and believers, that you throw this question out and use it to mull over and share your faith, that as you do, you'll be strengthening and growing in your own spiritual formation, having these conversations and dialogues with one another. How are you living out God's right mercy for you so that others might be drawn to God's right mercy for them?